What's your story? I'm Pastor Jonathan at Rock of Ages Baptist Church downtown, and this is my story. Tell the world, actually, I mean, where are you from? Man, I was born on Eagle and raised in the Fisher Projects. I don't know if you want to say projects or housing development. So. Definitely Fisher Projects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, born, uh, born on Eagle, but was raised in the Fisher Projects. At what point? You was on, like, dark side, light side? Man, I was on both sides. <laughs> we started off on the light side, LaBeouf, then we went to Hendy Court, and then we went to Big Whitney. Uh, I don't care what none of them say. We got in on Big Whitney, right? <laughs> Everybody had to come through us to get on both life and dog. So we the only ones besides their court that was able to like like fluctuate between both light and dark and nobody gave us no problem, you know. Gotcha. So actually I'm like what I'm like high school did you go to? Man, um I graduated from uh I hate to say well, I don't know well, John Eric High School. But I started off, um Junior high and all that at Lil Walker. That's when Lil Walker had, um, they took over the Catholic Church because they had the influx of sixth graders coming out of Martin Henderson, Havens, McDonald 32, Berman. And so Walker had too many intakes, so they put us in what they call Lil Walker right on the side of Berman Stadium. Boy, it was going down over there at Lil Walker. All of us was hot. So you have one very interesting story, like being from the Fisher and actually going to John area way in, I'm like a whole different world, man. And so, how did that happen? It was um, I you know my mother never verbally told me, but in her actions, she just thought that I wasn't gonna graduate. You know, I came up, me, Bolesta, Milton, uh, Craig Davis, Travis Barry, all us was in Keenan, all us was in Lil Walker together, Mike Wallace. And Mike Wallace. Well, he was a little behind us, but. All us was coming up at that time, but man, it was we were so wild, right? I mean, they didn't they had they opened the school, but they didn't have a quite structure to handle all of that at the same time. So she just thought I wasn't gonna be able to be able to graduate, and then you know she was like, you know, I'm gonna shoot you over there in Jefferson Parish, and so we go to John Eric High School, man. I'm talking about a whole different world. I mean, from from what. Where I just came from, and so the the, the students was weird to me, <laughs> the teachers was weird, everybody was weird, and then I didn't want to be there anyway. So, you know, I, I made it harder for those teachers and and everybody else, and so I kind of stick to my stuck to myself. So you was actually one I'm like proud of y'all. Man, I don't know about all that. Man. <laughs> I, if, now, if you ask them who went to school, they say I was a you know a, a terrorist, but I don't, I don't take that man, you know, but. It was just, I was just trying to get acclimated to how they did things in Jefferson Parish. And not just Jefferson Parish, just how they did it in Terratown or Railroad, West Wego. I just thought they just had some weird tactics, you know what I mean? Like, when I grew up in a project, we had certain codes you didn't you didn't bypass. We had certain things you just didn't do, you know what I mean? From a man to another man or, or or just certain things you just didn't do. And back there, it was like a different world, you know? <laughs> it was like... It was easy for me because it was, you know, if I survived the project, I knew I was going to survive back there. Gotcha. So, getting out of high school, did you end up going to, like, college or, or like, you know, or you started working or, like, anything like that? Fresh out of high school, man, you know, at that time, um, financial aid fast food was one of those big things that a lot of us were struggling to kind of fill out, right? And our teachers wasn't as, as proficient as they are now with really getting financial aid for these students. So I kind of went from high school into apprentice program at Avondale Shipyard. 
when I got out there and I was a ship fitter, and when I seen I was I could make twenty five dollars an hour and no taxes because I was a contractor. Boy, I forgot all about school at that point. <laughs> I was riding around this brand new Lincoln LS and, you know, getting tailor-made clothes and all that. So it's like, you mean to tell me I don't got to get out there and hustle to get this type of money? I mean, they're going to give me this type of money in a check? I can really, like, cash it in this mind? I was pretty much Gucci on school. Eventually, I went to seminary and finished off and got my bachelor's and all those things. So, I'm like, after you, I'm like, stop. I'm like, working. I'm like, tell us actually, I mean, what did you end up I'm like starting to actually, I'm like get into. Man, my whole life been around what I do now, you know, people. So it, it was no coincidence. Like, for his career path, you know, after the shipyard, then I started doing physical therapy uh, on Canal Street, right across the street from Warren East. And we, we had a floor where, you know, you get in an accident and, um, you know, you come up in there and you kind of you rehabilitate them. Uh, I was a physical therapist assistant. So, but as far as career choice, I, you know, jobs, man, wasn't nothing to me as long as they paid me more. But I always knew that at the end of the day, I was called to pastor. So none of those other jobs ever ever meant anything or had any relevance to it. As long as I can do what I was doing, whether it was preaching, traveling the world, preaching and stuff like that, or or just being able to be there for somebody. So I wasn't I wasn't even really conscious of a lot of stuff that I uh, jobs job. Um, choices that I was making. I was more concerned about will it land me to pastoring or, or preaching or, or can my end goal be helping people? So, so actually, I'm like, what year did you actually become one pastor? And I'm also actually, I'm like, take us, I'm like, through the I'm like, process of actually becoming one pastor. Well, man, let me see if I can break this down to you. You know, passion is one thing, passion is really overseeing a, a, a congregation of people. That's one perspective. Preaching, on the other hand, is is a is a daily daily thing, right? You, you know, you call to it. So, you know, I, was, I I just left a podcast when we was talking about the difference between today's society they're they're choosing preaching or pastoring as a career choice versus when I was coming up, those old preachers say that you got to be called to it. You, I literally had to go in my pastor's office and tell him how I believe I think I'm called. It wasn't that I had to I look like a preacher. It wasn't because I was able to talk, articulate, none of those things. It was, I had to tell him about the dream that I said I had that God called me. I had to tell him, I had to describe to him what it was. And and just briefly, man, God called me. I was preaching in this church right across from the Calio Project, Little St. John Baptist Church. That's where I started preaching at, at a young age. And I got up there to preach and they had a guy in the front in the, in the, in the middle aisle and he was wheelchair bound, right? He was... Uh, and everybody in the church just quiet while I was preaching, but that guy was making a whole lot of noise in the wheelchair. And I made one statement. I said, now, if this person can praise God in a wheelchair and all of you all have your health and your strength, this is how my dream went, right? And God told me I was called to preach, but to also point out some of the distinct differences between what theology that people was preaching at that time and where we need to go today. And so once I started, when I said I was called to preach, December 19, 1996, is when I stood and preached a sermon from Numbers chapter number 12, and I had to preach about love. And I preached how Moses loved his sister Marion and his brother Aaron to pray for them, right? After they talked about him and his Ethiopian wife, and he asked the Lord to spare his brother and his sister. And I told him that's what love is all about, right? Is in spite of what they did to him or try to do to him, he still prayed for them. And from that day forward, man, is preaching took me on so many continents, man, different countries around this world. I've preached from 
people of likes of from Bishop Jakes to Bishop Staples to Bishop Moore. I mean, I done preach a lot, man. I done preach in front of crowds of 10,000 to, to I can't count them in Africa and Kampala, Uganda, all the way down to your smallest congregation. And and to, to look back and think, man, you know, coming from the project and being able to articulate that word. Because, you know, in our era, man, the only way you thought you could make it out, number one, they told you you wouldn't live past 19, right? They told all us that. They're like, look, if you live past 19, that was almost like an achievement. I thought I was going to get a, I thought I was going to get a diploma for living past 19, bro, because it was tough at that time, you know? I always tell people, like, probably after, I mean, probably after that age of, of like 19 to 21, I start caring about life. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. well, I made I'm it. I'm alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like one of them situations, like, man, I'm past 19. Oh, boy, that was an accomplishment, which should, which is really horrible for, for a demographic of people, man. I think that's very traumatizing, right? But once I got past that, man, it was like to look at that and say, man, you're able to travel the world because in my my point of view, you know, I played ball and all those type of things, and I was pretty good at it. But after I broke my hand and all that type of stuff, I just kind of lost the, the, the feel for it. But in my point of view, I was playing basketball, football. You didn't hear too much about baseball and all those other sports, like basketball or football. If you go to Fox Playground, you're going to play basketball or football, McDonald, Norman, hey, all those different things. Hey, because down here, hey, because it wasn't really... I'm like promote. It's like boxing, like you know. Yeah, they didn't have right. like no boxing gym, nah, but like nah, 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 nah. it was just becoming a yeah, thing. Yeah, it's just becoming a thing. Boxing, tennis, uh, soccer. Man, when I heard West Jeff had some like a soccer program, and I was like, for real? You know what I mean? Like, man, we ain't have none of that. You know, the only thing you did basketball, football, because none of us was going to wrestle. We wasn't wrestling with nobody. But honestly, being in Algiers, well, the fishing just in general. Do you actually see any coaches at Berman actually knowing how to teach a child how to play soccer, <laughs> no, baseball? No, no, man. Like, you, like you realize you, you actually started growing one, like following. Man, uh, one of my friends, we sat down and ate lunch, and he said, you know, I, I hate that you don't get it. And then he said, but I like that you don't get it. And he was really telling me that a lot of times when people ask me like questions like that, I don't even pay attention to it. It's related to following. And I, I hear your question. I understand. I'm going to flip it for you in a few seconds. And I think that's that has been the destruction of a lot of pastors when they start counting numbers and start worrying about who's following them versus being focused on what they're doing, right? So when people tell me, man, how many people on your live and all that, man, I don't, even, I don't even look at none of that stuff. I don't even take count. I don't even put analytics to it because as long as I can continue to do what I'm doing, and I'm not worrying about all those type of things. And I think a lot of those guys take those numbers and that data and try to create some kind of platform. You know what I mean? To your question, I when I started passing in 2013, I only had three members. You know what I mean? And since then to now, we have hundreds, um, over 1,000, 1,300 people in 10 different states. But to see it and to kind of gauge it, you know, and I try my best not to just, um, assess my effectiveness based on numbers. You know what I mean? Because you can take five people and those five people can be some of the best disciples out of the 5,000 that you preach to every Sunday. You know what I mean? And it's a tricky thing. Uh, so when I started pastoring, um, I really, I never, I never did, I never just got into that whole little following thing. You know, in my world, man, you know, and I know you're not too much in my world, but 
those preachers walk, man, I got 500 members, man, I got 2,000 members. You go to their church, their church only can see the 100. You get it? You know, they count people that's dead and gone. They're still on the road or something, you know. But that was they that was their badge of honor. You know what I mean? And my my philosophy is I don't even I don't even think that way. The 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 more impactful I am, that's that's the only thing that matters to me. Right. So like we you know, just if you're talking about other pastors and preachers, like, you know, they have those other people who don't go to church because they feel like, you know, the pastor is only there because it's a business to them. Are, are like the people who just think like like the pastor really don't care about the people mm -hmm. and like you know and also looking in the world you know you see so many pastors do a kind of like oh, wrong things yeah. and like also Whippy being saying this do you feel like people in this world just actually put pastors onto one like actually on one certain on one certain on like pedestal that like you know pastors aren't always going to be perfect. Man, that's a multi. That's a manifold question. Yeah, it's a I'm gonna jump in that. Jump in that. I'm gonna try to stay out of trouble at the same time. I, I really believe that there ought to be a respect level for pastors, right? Let's back all the way up. There ought to be a respect level to the to the pastor that's really called by God. Let's let's differentiate those who went and those who was really called, right? Because I think in this society, anybody who opened a Facebook or Instagram and call itself a pastor, then they consider it to be a pastor. You, know, you take that clown from New York, right? And uh, the stuff that he's doing in the name of church or in the name of pastoring. And they, they don't understand how that, that, that caused a ripple effect across the entire United States of America or just Christians, you know, in, in, uh, in general. So to, to your question, do I believe they hold them to a certain standard? We're supposed to be held to a certain standard. The Bible said we are held above reproach, which means that we ought to have a certain disciplines about ourselves. But is we perfect? No, we're never perfect, right? The Our greatest hero is still human. I don't care who he is. Barack Obama is still a human. Nelson Mandela was still a human. Dr. King was still a human. Does that discredit the greatness in them? No. That don't discredit the greatness in them, right? And unfortunately, this is the psychology behind African-Americans. The minute that we feel as though we can relate to you or, or, or we understand you, then we degrade you. Because right. I, 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 on, on one perspective in my space, I know pastors who everywhere for their members. If they sick, they go into the hospital farm. They child get in trouble, they go into the school farm. They need some money to pay their bills, but they dog them. Then I know a pastor who they barely see. He show up on Sunday preach and he leave out with his entourage and they love him. <laughs> right? Because sometimes in his in his case, it's hard to you know, it's hard to categorize what, what you cannot see. And and I mean it's it's complex, bro. It's it's very complex. So I just try to tell people all the time. That's a promise I made to God, man. Um I'll never be perfect, but I'll try my best to do everything that he, um, he, he has called me to do. Right. And me just speaking on it, because, you know, even like a pastor having kids, it's like kind of like everybody say Barack Obama kids, like how the world think your kids should be because, you know, they're the child of a pastor yeah, or the president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, she can't smoke cigarettes, smoke yeah. weed. Uh, like, I, mean, I think she moving too fast daily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like, it's like you always judge. So, like... It's a microscope, like, bro. And so, like, how do you deal with your, on a day-to-day life, 
and like worried about if you know and people in your church judging you or like others just just ever just like on the just like on the on the outside looking in. You know, so I'm gonna drop three things. Boom, 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 boom. Number one is um, uh, my pastor told me one time. He said, "Son, one man can't see a thousand people, but a thousand people can see that one man, right?" And each one of those persons out of that thousand have a different perspective of that one man. All of them going to have a different story. All of them going to have a different view, right? I have a son that's 11 years old, and I try my best to protect him under all measures from the from the scrutiny or the trauma of other people, right? And this, this prestigious perspective of what a child's supposed to look like. Man, my child ain't called to it. I'm called to it. My child's supposed to act normal just like everybody else act normal. He's supposed to be a little boy like everybody else is supposed to be a little boy. Granted, all of us just should have this. We ain't talking passing. We're just talking a man should have certain disciplines, right? So, I mean, in that case, you should you should measure every man according to how he raised his child. Let's take the title of a pastor off. It's supposed to be discipline, certain things that you teach your son, certain things you teach your daughter, how you raise them. Is there a certain, once again, a, 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 a approach or or perspective as a pastor, absolutely. But that don't mean our children gonna be perfect. We not perfect, and I don't even put that pressure on my son. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't put that pressure on him to make make him feel like he's obligated to live for people, right? And for me, uh, my day to day living, man, I I try my best to to do everything God called me to do. But I don't, man. People, listen, man. People will look at a snapshot of what you're doing and then they'll they'll misjudge every everything of who you are right and people will always misjudge until they get to know you let me give you an example i took a couple of brothers to go shoot pool at shamrock right i, I, I didn't know too much about shamrock i'm not in in the know like that like that so we shooting pool i i invited you know i said to myself as a pastor because i was kind of standoffish in the beginning i was like Cause I don't want nobody to have a different perspective of me. You feel me? So I was an introvert. I was isolated. I said, man, I don't want these brothers to come around me because I don't want them to say something or do something that's going to, you know, contradict my, 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 my reputation. We go to Shamrock, we shoot in the pool, right? One of the brothers invited his friend, right? His friend come there, his friend go get him a drink. His friend drinks sitting on the table by us. We in a corner. So I pulled one of the brothers at the church to the side. I said, say, big brother, look. If somebody right now take a picture of us in this corner right now, what you think they're going to say? Man, passed out there drinking. They got 10 people over here. Here but, but but passed out there drinking, right? And so the the my my discipline is to make sure I'm going to steal this from King Mac, right? To be where I'm supposed to be. So I want to make sure that I'm in trouble or, or something like that or my integrity or my reputation is 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 is, is you know, put put dirt on my name and stuff. So I always try my best to protect myself at all costs because somebody's always watching. That's a fact. So I have this question for you. you know, I never asked no one this, but I just thought about this. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm, I'm going to say a few things before I ask you this question. Like, growing up in the walls, I'm pretty sure you've seen a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like streetwise, good, bad, and evil. Like, and we ain't from a city that that's like no other because I tell people, like, we don't have real gangs or different things like that. We from a city where it's like a, it was like, it was like one, something unknown factor. Like we the only city that we know the killer and the victim, and we can't see nothing about it. We mm -hmm. just moving, mind our business. Mm -hmm. So, how do you find yourself putting your message out there and like reaching the people from the streets and all being a pastor? Like, 
what separates you from the other pastors? Like, like actually, what makes you unique from like being a pastor in New Orleans and like around the world? Because you know we have to like you know go about certain things because you know we are we are different from everybody else in the world. We are really our own island. Like majority of us are kent each other, doing each other stuff, all kinds of different things. So I want to know like how do you like like make sure you always like bring that positive message and actually reach those people who's like thinking about changing their life and everything like that as well. Um, let, let me start here. So, you know, this is one of those things that I had to tell like different pastors from around the country when um, Hurricane Ida happened, right? Um, when Ida happened, I was telling them, not Katrina, but Ida, I was telling them, I was like, you know, New Orleans not only have to deal with Ida and the pandemic. So they was talking about the pandemic. I was like, Man, think about New Orleans got to deal with the pandemic and Hurricane Ida still trying to heal from Hurricane Katrina. So when I preach, I'm not just preaching about a job. I got to preach psychology, right? Because I got to get them through day-to-day -day living. Her son had to pray just to get from the bus stop to home with bullets flying. Those guys out of town, they dropping their kids off. That's a total different ball game, right? And so our messages to 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 those citizens in New Orleans, uh, for years the preacher would use fear as a tactic to try to change behavior patterns. You feel what I'm saying? Like they'll say, "You're going to hell, Lord. The Lord gonna do this to you. The Lord gonna do that to you." Well, I discovered that if you preach and you allow them to make a conscious decision on their own and self empowerment and self examination then I believe our people are smart enough to make the right decisions. You feel what I'm saying? Like, I don't have to send people to hell on Sunday and say, man, if you don't live right, you know you're going to hell. Man, them people know they're going to hell. Them people know sinning is wrong. You know what I mean? The thing that they're lacking is somebody telling them who they are, their potential of becoming somebody great, the potential of really raising a family in this community, the potential of really being financially free. To see so many, and let me just stop right here as a pastor. This is my first time ever doing this in a in a podcast or an interview. And that is, man, I am so proud of New Orleans, though. Like all jokes aside, I've stayed in DC for five years, right? And I've seen the uprising of entrepreneurship, and I've seen how the the family dynamic changed drastically because of the financial freedom that those people had. Those people in Maryland and D.C., man, they'll take a trip over the weekend to, to Paris somewhere. I mean, like, they, they was, like, free to see how our city now have entrepreneur mindset, to see our city traveling more, to see them working out more. Man, you don't know how that made me feel, man. You know what I mean? Like, because we, we didn't used to do that. You know what I mean? The furthest we went was Mississippi. Or the furthest we went to was Orlando. To see how people go on to Costa Rica, Turk and Caicos, man, oh man, that do me that do something to me, which gives value and validity to the to the sermon that I preach on Sunday, that I'm not just preaching to a box mind, right? I'm not just preaching to a broke mind. We have more exposed people today, right? Than back in the day. Than back in the day. Because I was about to say when you just said that, like, you know, your average people like but they actually did one survey of like majority of people who stay here actually I'm like before Katrina, never been on a plane, I never left out of New Orleans. Never. And, and like, I like I just told someone this, I'm like, I've never been on a plane until I put myself on a plane. Yeah. Like, hey, but even my mom never got on a plane until I was a adult. Man, listen. Oh, <laughs> uh, they got people never left the West Bank. What you talking about? 
Right? Yeah, but they had to leave for Katrina. Yeah. So I'm saying people have left now, but like people didn't leave. Forced. Still, they, they were forced, forced to leave. But I had to put myself on the plane. And then when I got to Maryland, man, I was, I never forget this. My pastor was like, I'm a, we're going to do a retreat in Orlando and all of my staff going. And he gave us a certain amount of, you know, some bread, right? I called my mom and I told my mom and my stepfather, I said, man, I'm going to fly y'all to Orlando. Man, you know what kind of joy that was my mama first time on a flight. You know what I mean? Like those those different concepts, man. It, it changes everything as it relates to what we're supposed to be as a city. I was just telling a, a, another news outlet, international outlet, how how proud and how how amazing uh, our city is developing today. And to see so many entrepreneurs want to give back to their community and to their city, I mean, it, it gives us joy, man. Like New Orleans in a whole has grown. Yeah, man. Like every five to ten years, it's grown. Like right now, New Orleans probably. Just it was just a fashion. Like you gotta think about it. Your average traditional pastor wouldn't have on a black owned urban fashion with. Yeah. You have one on right now. Yeah. Like they have over twenty designers now in yeah. New Orleans. Yeah. They have a rapper that's mainstream again. Yeah. They have media companies are growing every day. Uh, they got fitness. They have like so many. They got people. a church thriving again. Rock of Ages. Right. I think church is a, a, a bit thriving, but yours? No, 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 no. Let me let me clarify that. Okay, we had one time the outbreak of Bishop Paul S. Martin, and we salute him okay. dearly. When Greater Saint Stephen took off, and when I say a city, a church that's thriving in New Orleans, let me give you a, a national perspective. When Bishop Martin shot off, man, listen, everybody when they think about New Orleans, they say Bishop Paul S. Martin, right? When you thought about D.C., you have about five pastors you can think about have mega churches. When you thought about Dallas, any metroplex city, they had at least about six, seven mega churches. The only person you heard of when they said New Orleans was Bishop Paul S. Martin. Right. You had churches. Around the world. But you didn't, you're yeah, you had, yeah, we're talking global appearance. Yeah, yeah they had you, big pastors at that time, but none of them were out of, like, like, like known outside of New Orleans. Yeah. Like, we had... We had we had like Reverend Blakes that people knew around the whole yeah. city, but he wasn't known throughout yeah. the South. So I get yeah, it was it, it was the migration of New Home Ministry that that got him. I never forget when he really became global. There was a time, man, sickness was ravaging our community, right? And I never forget this, man. I was in a dental office right there on Carrot, Doctor Major, right? What what they have uh, the little the little store at now, right across from the China, uh, what is, what is the Chinese restaurant? Right in that area, all in that area. Pep, what's what's over there right now? It's about so you come out that bridge. Yeah, so you come out the bridge. Chinese kitchen. Yeah, in that area. Yeah. Man, I'm sitting in the dental office. Man, the news flash. Uh, Prophet Blaze laying hands on people. That was new to New Orleans. I was young. Man. I was a kid. Yeah, he put his hand on me. He told me I was uh, gonna be a pastor. I said, man, I don't listen. Want to get yeah, right on. Right on, on, right on preach right now. Come on, yeah, no, I ain't got that in me, man. <laughs> Give it two minutes. That's that's in any position. That's in a position whether man, whether you're a business owner. Right. That community they know who you're sleeping with. Right. They know if you're scamming them too. Right. They know if it's inflation too. Right. That's with anything. Right? And I understand the perspective. But like, like, like even saying that, like, you know, that don't mean I'm scamming them because I'm trying to sell what like like miracle water. It's just in my mind, that's what my mind frame is right now. So I'm trying to get that bread. Yeah, I'm trying to look look like I look I'm get the church but I'm gonna get that too. But I don't wanna, you know You don't want conflict the interest. Yeah. I got it man. But but you gotta live too. Right. So majority of my consulting is, is not even in the church. It's, I, I don't consult pastors. I consult 
you know, basketball players, football players, business owners, and stuff like that. And, and, and that's also like a pastor wears many hats. Yeah. That's why I say about that pedestal. Like, you ought to be like, you know, anything you go through. Man, you gonna you sell them people candles pedestal. or what? I'm gonna sell them everything. <laughs> Like I said, when you were growing up, you know, you gonna sell them dope or sell them hope. Ah. <laughs> I'm just being honest for ah. it. Like how I, I feel. No, with you, but bro. everybody, you know, everybody, everybody has their story. Everybody yeah. has their purpose. <laughs> sell them dope or hope. I, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. But see, but I ain't lie to you. Before I even heard of you, mm-hmm. a female came to me and was talking about you. She mm-hmm. was like, "Man, I ain't lie to you." Since it, it was the way you gave. Your message to her, mm-hmm. she said it made her believe in really giving ten percent, mm-hmm. and her, and like her life changed after she started giving ten percent to the church, mm-hmm. and it like made me look like man, maybe I should hear hear what you guys are saying because like you know there's so many people in the world, I don't think they don't want to go to church. I think they feel like the the pastors be scamming them or mm-hmm. different things like that. Like I just talked to. Like an older man say, I'm ready to change churches because I feel like our because I feel like our past ain't right. Mm, mm, mm. So like you know, like how do you detour like keeping you know the people in your on that congregation happy and like feel like they can have one real relationship with you as well. So this is a I've been telling people, man, God never called us to a building; He called us to a voice. If, if it was up to a building, man, majority of people in the New Testament probably wouldn't have fit. Uh, the Bible said Peter preaching 3,000 people joined the church that day, right? They didn't have a building, but they joined church because they heard his voice. That's number one. Number two, my goal is not to make people happy. My goal is to make them healthy. Totally two different things, right? You know, making them happy, you got to continue to entertain them. And that's where the preachers compromise. They got to sing. I'm not a singing preacher. I don't sing at all. But I'm going to give you some healthy word, though. People, today's society, man, I'm telling you, they are exposed, they smart, they intelligent. You cannot manipulate them. They can see straight through you. And they taught all of that, that, that high up. I did something um, with our videography, OBJ. I said, man, listen, when I get to church Sunday, put a microphone on me. You know how they mic up in the NBA and the NFL? Mm-hmm. I want to show people that I ain't speaking in tongues from the time I pull up to the time I preach, right? Because that's the thoughts that they had, though, right? You start breaking down all of that 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 erroneous ideology of that pastor speaking in tongues from the time he pulled up to the time he preached. No, man, I'm walking through the hallway saying, happy birthday to her. Hey, man, I ain't see you in a minute. Man, how that child doing? Hey, you feel better, right? That's that's pastoring, right? I wanted to show the people, man, this is what we do. And the response from that was like crazy. It was like, oh, man, I thought y'all be up there praying all day. I was about to say, but that's also great marketing. Like, you know, showing like your average, I mean, day-to-day with a pastor. Like, like yeah. show how you interact with people one-on-one instead of just we ain't speaking talking to the church all day. day. Well, you, you, start, you respect them. Man, that's my pastor. But I also know he is accessible. You know what I mean? And that's the problem, right? The problem is you deny access and you done put me on this pedestal. And when I fall for grace, rip me apart. You know what I mean? Right. And you know, I don't want to go too far 
off the realm with this one, but you know, like just the years of just growing up and going to different churches, it's like, you know, most pastors preach, like, you know, you can come to church as you are, but like most of the people at the church was the people that judge you, especially yeah. the old women. Mm -hmm. So it's like you know, like you know, you hear all kind of rumors, man. I passed the gear. If you didn't get married, just different mm -hmm. things. So it's like, how do you like be accessible to all those people and like you know make sure? Now I'm be honest happen. with you. There are certain protective orders that you have to do, right? Okay. I don't I don't sit in meetings with women by myself. Okay. Uh, I have uh, anytime I travel out of town or go somewhere, I got somebody with me, right? It's always protective orders. You got to have accountability partners. You know what I mean? You got to protect yourself. Now, don't be stupid now, right? You, you ain't sitting around here talking about, oh, they just going to believe that I ain't doing wrong. Nah, man, listen, people people going to believe what they want to believe. They're looking for something to believe wrong about you so they can feel like they don't have to respect you. That's the craziest thing about people. People want to find out something wrong about you. So they won't respect you. That's the craziest thing I ever heard in my life, right? So there's a lot of stuff that I do as it relates to secretary and all that kind of stuff. Man, I didn't have stuff. I didn't put restraint on on, on women. Hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They crazy. Yeah, they weird. You know, I, I mean, they man, I ain't never. I mean, you you got to do some stuff like to, to protect yourself. I didn't have some of them try to like schedule a business meeting and you show up and it's only them. Talking about, oh, there's a table for two back there. Nah, Slim, I got to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you get all that kind of stuff, but that don't stop me from trying my best to, to make the impact that I need. You know what I mean? The funny part is, when you said, nah, Slim, I can tell you, I'm like, been to D.C. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I know they're saying, yeah, like, yeah, I, I yeah, go to yeah. Club Love back yeah, yeah. in uh, Oh, and <laughs> for. Yeah. And back uh, uh, with the Barack Obama first inauguration. I was there, too. I didn't know what I, inauguration was. Man, I was sitting on the, the <laughs> I was sitting on the porta potty listen, looking at the Jumbotron. Yeah. That, and with the heating pads, but in, yeah, it was cold as hell. It was very. I'm the coldest I ever had in my life, and that's the only time I never saw like celebrities have security. Nah, everybody was everybody. Out there. You could really walk man, with listen, anybody. That everybody day. was out there. The dude died that morning uh, in the metro. Somebody pushed him. Man, he was oh, packed man. that day, man. He was packed. I was actually in Virginia, and I found out Virginia was an hour away from DC. Yeah, 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 so that's yeah, how yeah. yeah. Fairfax and, and all that kind of stuff. I was but, actually, but one of my friends was actually. I'm like in the Navy, and we, and we was actually on Langley. Okay, so we got yeah, got it up there. Yeah, but, but yeah. I, I, man, listen, man, I done went to Love, Fur, all, all that. How Homecoming? Park at 14, all that. Park at 14, yeah. I, I done went to How Homecoming. And I traveled around before. Man, I was out there when my boy got shot, man, Cam. Cam, he was in that Cam you was out, out there a long time ago. Listen, I was out there, right, <laughs> I was right there on the corner. When they when they smashed my man, I was like, God, dog. He, he, if he just talked about that situation, he, he got shot because he played Rico. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he was out there. He was out there stunting. And Honestly, he said people think he a real rat in real life because he yeah. played for Rico. Man, he pulled up in the lab and everybody. It, we was quiet. It was quiet. No, everybody wouldn't. Like, you know, them dudes was out there with they with they stuff, but he come. Rum, 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 rum. Then he popping the joint, talking crazy, dude. But like people don't realize, DC is like a crazy hood city. It's oh, like man. people don't know. They got the White House and they got a project like right there. Oh, but you go to Barrett Farm, Southeast. <laughs> they only got a project yeah. right like across the street from yeah, the, from the yeah, White House yeah, that yeah. you've been up. And HUD be running there all the time. Like you go, you, you mess around, go to the wrong, go wrong spot in DC, you're in trouble, my man. Being, being one pastor, being you know, being one counsel, being a counselor, one consultant, and everything like that. I want you to address the people and tell them what do you enjoy about this and, and like what do you actually. I'm like dislike about your job. Um, the, let me start with the dislike because it's very simple. The dislike is I can't help everybody. I can't save everybody. 
Um, I think everybody is assigned to a certain audience of people. And the compassion and passion that I have, I, I, I want to help everybody. Until I discovered that people want help, but sometimes they don't want help from you, right? My passion and my love in, the, in what I do, man, is to see people transform. Like I tell my, I tell my members, man, you know, you only need a mechanic when your car broke. You only need to go to the doctor when you're sick. You only need a lawyer when you got to go to court. But a pastor, that person can be there when the day you were born to the day you die. I'm, I'm there when that child born, I'm praying over the baby. For the funeral, guess who there? I'm right back there. To walk with that person through life, it's an amazing experience, man. To see transformation, to see them succeed. Man, I love being a cheerleader, actually. To see that person say, man, go, man, go get that. Oh, it's all yours. You got it. You got the gift for it. You got the talent for it. Knock that out the park. No, make that move right there. And to see them do it and they actually shocked that they was capable of doing it. Oh, bro. I mean, I'm talking about I'd be at home with one sock on, eating popcorns, happy for everybody. Just just going crazy because I, I love to see people's lives uh, happy. I love to see other people happy. And that's the most joyous part of my of my job. That's it. And I don't want to be funny about a situation, but uh, when you just said something, I don't explore my mama, but like, she's one of those people who want to go to church if, if, if like, and like something going wrong. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. like, what's your message to people who who like who actually move like that? Cause like you know you should want to go to church when you got like we doing good life as well. Yeah, man. Church is not just a a, a place where you uh, everybody come and got problems, right? Church is better when you go there when you don't have problems. You know what I mean? Like you're able to add value, validity to to what the preacher is saying, but you're also able to enjoy it without being stressed out about you know this problem, that problem, this problem. Uh, I would tell everybody, man, church, church is a avenue, it's a vehicle by which you strengthen your relationship with God. Your relationship have to be strong in order to continue to go with or without problems. They have nothing to do with attendance. They have everything to do with your relationships. You know what I mean? Like, you know, just as, I mean, just on the contrary, a person going through hell, you think they won't go to church? <laughs> you know, you got some people going through hell, man. They don't want to go to church. But at the end of the day, their relationship is strong enough to pull them to that building, you know. Okay. So tell us, actually, actually, I'm like, what's next for you? What's next for me, man, is I'm celebrating my birthday. You talking about big? I'm going to do something small in the media because anything, it can change per per day. I'm celebrating my birthday May 13th. And um, we're doing something called Mind Over Matter Fest. It's a concept that I came up with because I built um, three outpatient mental health facilities in our city. And um, so we're taking 30 clinical, uh, licensed clinical social workers under the bridge to do these 15 minute integral counseling sessions for free. And then we have at least about eight medical mobile units that's going to be out there from Auction to LCMC, Crescent Care and all those people. And then I have Dickie Brennan, Camellia Beans and Louisiana Seafood Board that's going to do a holistic meal for them. But we white linen the table. We make them feel like they're at a five star restaurant. And then we have Salvation Army bringing their trailer so they can take showers and wash their clothes. And I got barbers cutting their hair. I got chiropractors uh, cracking them up. And also we have a stage that's going to be out there with five different local bands from Zydeco to jazz to jazz and different genres. And then we have a play area where we're bringing a basketball goal so they can play ball. They play dominoes, spades, all those different play areas. And then we're gifting them with all kinds of gift bags. And that's all I want to do for my birthday. But for me, man, that thing can change I mean, man, you can talk about the back-to-school giveaway with World Envision. You can talk about different partnerships that I have throughout the city. 
it's, it's all over, man. If I'm coming, man. Oh, you got to slide through, man. Hey, but Sushi said, you know, you have one. If Sushi said, you have, you're going to have one on that chiropractor. I said, I need my back to neck crap right quick. But without paying a couple hundred. Yeah. But I'm like, no, this is my, you know. Crack we up, man. Right? Yeah, man. They're going to be out there, man. That's right. And also, uh, but last but not least, Teleworld actually, actually, I'm like, what can they find you at on social media and everywhere? Oh, man. So, you know, I of course, you can go to our website, Uh Instagram is, is Pass Everett. Uh, Twitter is Pass Everett. Facebook is Jonathan Everett. YouTube is J.E. Ministries. Uh, I pass the Rock of Ages Baptist Church at 1921 North Tante Street. We have church at 9.15 a.m. on Sundays and 7 p.m. on Wednesdays.